0: As you're being seated, I'd love to introduce myself to you. My name is Brayden Rodriguez. I'm the student 1825 pastor here at our LifePoint Delaware campus. And I'd like to extend a a warm welcome to everyone here in the room today. Uh, Guests, I'm especially glad that you're here. Uh, Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. I would like to direct your attention, if you are first-time guest, second-time guest, to our uh, resource that we've made just for you. It's called lpguest.com. You can pull out your phone right now. It's okay. You can do that pull it out, go to your browser, type in lpguest.com. You can also scan uh, the QR code on the seats in front of you. Be warned, if you have an Android, apparently our QR and the Androids don't like connecting to each other. So if you do have an Android and you would like to go there, I would suggest the browser. So uh, lpguest.com, once you get there, if you're new, if you never filled that out, we would love for you to go to the guest information portion of that uh, and just give us some simple information. And here's why. We wanna help get you connected to the life of our church. It's not so that we can uh, bother you sign you up for all these email chains no we just want to help figure out how to best serve you if you're interested in kids ministry, student ministry uh, serving life groups we want to be able to help you uh, do that and also uh, once you get to the bottom of that guest information card, it will have some ministries there listed. Uh, and if you would just select one of those ministries. And what we'll do is we'll donate $5 in your honor, no strings attached, right? This is not signing up to say you're a member. We, we want to do is say, Hey, thank you for being here. And we'll donate $5 in your honor to that uh, ministry that you've selected there. And so Uh, Again, Thank you for being here. Guests, we love having you. Church members, regular attenders, we love having you so much. Uh, And this morning, you're like, obviously, this is not Kale. You're the student pastor. So a few weeks back, Kale asked me to speak and he was like, yeah, I'll be there. But um, actually, Kale... is not here this morning, if some of you guys are keeping up uh, with him and his family, uh, this morning they posted on Facebook, Allie is actually uh, at Children's and he um, is not here and he actually wrote something uh, that he wants me to read to you all this morning. It says, good morning, um, church family. It has been an eventful weekend, both personally and nationally. First, personally, as many of you know, we're at the hospital still with our daughter, Allie. We hope to be home soon. But in the meantime, both Morgan and I want to express our heartfelt gratitude for the many prayers, calls, texts, meals, and gifts. We love you all, and we feel incredibly blessed. As we've said a lot here at LifePoint, God remains good, even when circumstances are not. We've seen so much of his activity and grace, and he is a good father indeed. On a national note, I'm sure most of you have seen the Supreme Court ruling of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. As a church, we've always said uh, the right to life for every unborn, ch- uh, unborn child is not a political issue. It is a biblical issue. So we're celebrating this. And also, right now, culture tells us either that you are for unborn babies or you're for women. We do not believe that is true. God is for women and for babies they bring into the world That's one reason I'm grateful that we as a church have had a a years-long relationship with the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Delaware County. I believe in the future, the work of these centers will be even more important in ensuring both moms and their babies have access to the care they need. We live in a quickly changing times, but no matter what, Jesus remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's praise him this morning, and please know that we are with you in spirit, Pastor Cale Morgan and the whole Boer family. Church, this morning, as Cale as again is not here, and, and we pray for him, and he's on our mind, uh, we do also know that uh, in the climate of today's world and, and policies and politics, uh, that issues can be very nuanced sometimes and, and not so black and white. And so uh, what we want to do as a church is, is, is point uh, to the Bible and we want to point to the best care that we can. And so as Kale mentioned there in his letter is uh, we've p- partnered with the Pregnancy Resource Center and actually uh, they moved locations yesterday into a newer, uh, I would say like very nicely renovated uh, facility. And so they're going to scroll some pictures behind me. If you um, ever need care know someone who ever needs care, anything like that, please point them our way. We would love to partner with moms and their babies and making sure they get uh, the care they need. And so we love having this partnership uh, uh, at our church. And so please uh, don't hesitate to let us know. Um, and before we jump into the sermon, I do want to talk about just a couple of other things as well this morning. Our uh, LifePoint Kids uh, is leading the initiative on another uh, ministry project that we're doing here at our church. We're partnering as a church with United Way uh, for the Pack the Bus Drive, Backpack Drive. And what we're doing is at all five of our locations uh, all across our uh, central Ohio region, we are gathering backpacks, 2,000 plus backpacks to be specific, for uh Uh, multiple different schools for kids that need them. We will, uh, all these backpacks will go to Delaware schools, Olentangy schools, Westerville schools, Jonathan Alder schools. And we couldn't be more excited about that. And so this morning, if you have the chance, uh, and you feel, uh, that the Lord is calling you into this, uh, this commission work, uh, that we're, uh, partnering with United Way for, uh, please stop out at guest central. They have some tags back there with, um, backpacks for uh, gender and age specific kids. Uh, And then also if you have kids in LPK, you can pick up some tags back there. And then whenever you bring those backpacks back, you can bring them back to LPK. And here's something else. You're going to see a school bus over the next couple of weeks parked out in our parking lot. So that is a solid reminder for you on July 10th and July 17th to bring those backpacks back. Uh, so that we can give those away. Also, they wanted me to tell you, please don't bring any extra school supplies. Uh, We won't be taking those at this time. Uh, But if you do know someone that you can give some extra school supplies to, I'd encourage you if you feel compelled to do that in that way as well. And then last, but certainly not least, I am the student pastor, so i got to talk about students for just a second. So tonight, if your students come to any student ministry across all five of our locations, we are actually going to be worshiping together at something we're calling All Campus Life Group Night for students. And so we are so excited uh, about that. What we're going to do is we're going to start here at Delaware at five o'clock, which is a big change. That's an hour earlier, and we're going to start here. We're going to have a big party, and then at 5.30, we're going to take a Bus over to our Lewis Center campus, no charge to any of you guys, Uh, and we just want to have a great time with all of our brothers and sisters across our campuses. We're going to have worship. We're going to have a teaching from one of our leaders uh, there at Lewis Center. And then also we're going to have Kona Ice Inflatables again, no charge to you guys, uh, just to say, hey, please come bring your friends uh, and enjoy. So the one thing that you do have to buy if you choose to come and buy it is that really cool shirt that Wesley was wearing, right? If you want one of those, you can buy one of those tonight. There was only a hundred printed. So short short supplied there. So come ready for that. Uh, be here at five and parents will drop uh, your kids back off here at Delaware at 9 p.m. Uh, and you can pick them up then. So that's a little different tonight for student ministry. We just wanted to let you know that. So if you showed up at six, you wouldn't be by yourself. So we would love to have you uh, come with us tonight again, five o'clock here. So um, now let's jump into what the Lord has for us in the scriptures. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you've known that we are in this series called Labels and we're walking through the gospel of Luke. And if you've maybe been out and you're not quite sure where we are this morning, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 13. And this main thought of the series that we have been chasing down is this, is that the gospel calls us to a life above labels. The gospel calls us to a life above labels. What does that mean? Right, So often we see in the book of Luke that Jesus has this reputation of taking marginalized people, labeled people, and making them unmarginalized, stripping the labels away. We've seen different accounts of of men and women who were disreputable sinners. One of the stories is called The Woman of Disrepute. And then you have this other story of these lepers coming to Jesus, this story of the Good Samaritan, and all of these people who are labeled by their society And Jesus comes in and whereas the culture would call them sinner dirty, Jesus calls them forgiven, be clean, go sin no more. And we love this idea that Jesus comes in and he does a new work in our heart. And as we've read through the gospel of Luke last month together as a church, as we've been praying through Luke 2 together here as a church this month. And as we move into the next part of our series over the next month of July, we're going to be praying that not only would God bring laborers in, but that we would engage our one the person that we all know in our lives that need Jesus, the one who's been labeled by the culture and labeled by society or maybe the, themselves. They put self-imposed labels on themselves and they don't know Jesus. We're gonna talk about how do we engage them with this idea that the gospel calls us to a life above labels. And Cale has said it every week. The only label that we now bear is that of Christ's follower. One that loves and serves Jesus. And so we're going to continue on in that thought uh, in our series this morning. And if you have your uh, Bible, you have notebook or anything like that, and you want to write something down, this would be the one thing I would encourage you to write down this morning. My main point today is this, is that we are all labeled by the disease of sin before knowing Jesus. Before Jesus We all have the label of sin on our lives, right? And those of you who know Jesus in this place today have a personal, intimate relation with him. You know this well, is that before Jesus came into your life, everything was a wreck, if I could say it that way. If I could say it another way, is that before knowing Jesus, we're all totally deprived, radically corrupt, and marred by sin. If you go back to hear what Wesley just read in Psalm chapter 51, David talks about, I am sinful before you, God. He talks about, in my mother's womb, I was knit in with iniquity, that I have sin in my life, and you, God, only can change it. So we're all labeled by the disease of sin before knowing Jesus, but we all need Jesus' healing kingdom work. There's level ground at the foot of the cross. There's level ground at the foot of the cross, is that we were all, yes, marred by sin, but all have the same opportunity to know Jesus and His healing kingdom work. I saw this illustration this past week uh, or a week or so ago from a church uh, called Harris Creek in Waco, Texas. Uh, And what they did essentially was they asked some of their students if they could uh, poll how bad certain things were. And so I called an elementary school student this week who was my favorite person to talk to by far this week, Uh, our middle school student, high school student, and a college student that I discipled for some time. And I uh, asked them to rate these uh, sins, scale one to 10. And we presented to you in something delicious, and that is via Oreos, right? And so if you're going to talk about sin, you got to talk about something else, right? Like you got to have a better illustration than, you know, I don't know, like black goop, right? We got to to do Oreos. So essentially, I asked all of our students uh, some questions. I said, how bad is it to cheat on a test? I love our elementary schooler's answer. She said, 10 out of 10, it's terrible, I've never done it. And I was like, praise God for you. Our high schooler said four. So she said, sometimes you just gotta do it. Uh, So, I'm with you, sis. All right, uh, we asked, how bad is it to cheat on a spouse across the board, 10 out of 10? How bad is it to lie? I love our middle schooler's response. Well, it depends, five? Uh murder, 11 out of 10, right? That, that's a pretty standard answer, right? I feel like. What about stealing a piece of candy from your friend? Right, these are low scores all around. One, three, four. Our college students said six. So obviously it's pretty serious, but not too bad. Um, stealing a car, obviously. Grand Theft Auto is worse than stealing a piece of candy from your friend. This one surprised me. I said, how bad do you think it is to gossip? And I'm expecting like, I don't know, four, three. Like people talk about, people behind their backs all the time. We very scored high on this, eight, seven, 10, and nine. Uh, here's one, and, and church, I'll ask you this. How bad is it to speed five over? Ten's the worst, one, not bad. How bad is it? Five over, come on. Zero, Zero? thank you, that's, that's right. It's not even on the scale, we all do it. I did it yesterday, right? If the cops are watching, I'm sorry. Um, everybody goes five over. Uh, Our our middle schooler, high school, they're all, they're like, yeah, it's, it's bad. What about speeding 50 over? And this will surprise you. Our elementary schooler said 10, college student said 10. High schooler, however, not a 10. It was a nine and our middle schooler said eight. So parents, as you're teaching your kids to drive, make sure you throw this one in there. It should be a 10 out of 10, right? Not 50 over. Five is iffy, definitely not 50, okay? Why do I start with this illustration? If they'll go back to that last slide. Here's essentially what we do. And I think what the passage gets after this morning is we like to look at sin horizontally. We like to stack our Oreos, right? I've lied, I'm down here. I only drive five over the speed limit against someone else. We look at sin horizontally and we say, at least I didn't kill somebody. At least I'm not driving 50 over the speed limit. At least I didn't, you know, watch pornography. At least I didn't gossip behind someone's back. Or, or, you know, maybe gossip's not that bad. At least I'm not this. And that's the problem is we like to look at sin horizontally. Pointing the finger at everyone else when it comes to our own personal accountability. And yet the problem with that is, and what we're going to see in the text this morning, is God doesn't look at sin that way that God rather looks at our sin vertically than horizontally. If you flip the picture and you have an overhead view of what sin looks like, this is what it would look like. Everybody's got a Oreo, if I could say it that way. Is that God has not stacked up 10 high Oreos on you because you've done a certain thing or three or four. No, he just sees one Oreo. Everybody is marred and marked by sin. And so the essence of the passage that we're about to get into in Luke chapter 13 is this. Is my sin worse than yours? Are you worse than I am? We continue on reading in Luke chapter 13, verse one. And there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that the Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all likewise will perish or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they are worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Jesus says it again. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us today through the reading of your word, God, through the teaching of your word. God, would it impact us? God, would you clear our hearts to receive the seed of your word and would it produce 30, 60? And a hundredfold, as you've said, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We back up to verse one and we set the scene, right? Jesus is talking to the crowds and where are we at in Jesus's ministry, right? We've been going through the entire book of Luke. What's the timestamp, right? It's about three and a half years of ministry that Jesus does. And we are right after uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Why is that so important? Because if you flip over to John chapter six, that is the mark and the start of Jesus' last year of his own life. Right, so Jesus has been alive around 32 years at this point. He's been doing ministry for about two, two and a half years. And we have already jumped into the last year of Jesus's life. But we're not quite to the end because in Luke chapter 19, that's his last week. So we're somewhere between in his last year to his last week. So potentially months away from heading to the cross. And I really love what's happening here is because Jesus is addressing these crowds. If you back up to Luke chapter 12... You kind of get a picture of who's in this crowd, right? Jesus starts to look and as we read Luke chapter 12, it talks about him talking to his disciples. There's potentially some Pharisees, some scribes, some religious leaders asking some questions to Jesus. And so we've got these kind of hyper-religious people who don't like Jesus. But then based off of the rest of the narrative of Luke and how we see Jesus talk to these people, you've got some seekers, right? You've got some people who are probably culturally marginalized that are labeled and marked by sin or disease who are probably coming to hear this good teacher, right? So often we see these people come to Jesus and they're all over the spectrum. And I think Luke 12 and 13 points to something beautiful here. And if we could write something else down this morning, this is just a sub point, no no need to write it down, but is that all kinds of people can come to Jesus. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we see here in verse one and back up into chapter 12, is that all kinds of people can come to Jesus. This morning, maybe you've been following Jesus for quite some time, and you would call yourself a disciple. You can come to Jesus. Maybe this morning, you've dealt with the battle of religiosity in your life and, and maybe you've turned following Jesus more than, uh, in, uh, into more than something than just a relationship and rather it's just all this law keeping, rule keeping, no grace, all of that, you can come to Jesus this morning. Maybe you're in this room and you're sick, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, you can come to Jesus Jesus is not scared to have this mixed bag of people stand in front of him. Rather, all through the Gospels, we see it's almost welcomed. Come. Jesus will say in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and heavy with burdens, and I will give you rest. It's beautiful that all kinds of people can come to Jesus here in this moment. We look back in chapter 12. What is the the topic at hand that Jesus is giving this mixed bag of people. It's judgment, right? Real easy sermon, right? Right right here before the Sabbath, Jesus gives them in Luke twelve and thirteen. Right? Jesus looks at them and he starts to talk about judgment. He says there's this certain judgment that comes from blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Well that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. But there's this idea that, hey, this sin requires judgment. And then he looks to the disciples and he looks to the people and he says, don't be anxious, rather worry about nothing. What is he saying? He's essentially saying, trust God. And then right after that, he says, but God's returning and he's going to come and he's going to judge and he's going to make all things right. So be ready, be ready for the returning of God. And then you get to these first five verses here. And again, he starts to talk about judgment and perishing. What is the good news here in this passage? Before we get to the good news, what we see is that they all start to point fingers, right? Instead of taking personal responsibility when Jesus talks about judgment and anxiety, they start to say, well, Jesus, don't you see him? They don't say, Jesus, look at my life. They say, well, what about those Galileans that Pilate killed, right? They take zero responsibility. Trust me, we get to good news soon. They take zero responsibility. Jesus looks back at them. He says, so you think they're worse, right? You think those Galileans are worse? And then Jesus proposes another example. He's like, what about those who died in the falling of the Tower of Siloam, right? Presumably by some natural disaster, an earthquake knocks this tower over, kills 18 people. He's like, you think that's God's judgment? You think that's how God operates? You think they're worse sinners because they died in this natural disaster or pilots killing them? Jesus looks back, he says, no. He says, you likewise, with your sin, will perish. Jesus is making a great point here is that we are all, again, marred and cursed by sin. We back up to Genesis chapter one. God makes everything, right? And then you get to chapter three and our earliest father, Adam, and our earliest mother, Eve, they're in the garden, everything's good. And all of a sudden, sin enters into the scene. Satan comes on and says, hey, if you would just eat, The one thing God has asked them not to do, they do. And now all of creation is broken. All of man is broken. You flip to Romans chapter eight, Paul would say now because of the sin that entered into the world, the earth, all of creation is groaning. What does that mean? Is that there's now natural disaster that everything has rebelled against its creator God. And then Paul would then go on to say, It waits for God to return. And then he would say the believers who know Jesus, who have come to know him, groan and wait for God to come back and make all things new and to make all things right. And so when we look at this passage and we look at what Jesus says, we see this. When a person dies, that is not because they are a worse sinner. Because of how they die is not making them a worse sinner. Because they are sick, they are not a worse sinner. Because of their life situation, you are not better or worse off than them. And let me set the record straight. It is not because you are less holy or more holy. It is not because you don't have enough faith or you do have enough faith that things happen. Here's the result of everything that happens in the world is we are broken and marred by sin. This is why death, sickness, and disaster swirl all around us. But here's the good news is that though all people are diseased by sin, there is a fix. There is an answer. God gave it himself. The only thing to fix it, the brokenness, is repentance and turning to God. Repentance is this word that means to turn. Turn from what? The things that have drawn us away in rebellion to God and we turn back to him. And we say, God, would you come in Because this has eternal ramifications. That God said, you can be healed, be set free. And Jesus, in the passage, he talks about uh, here in verse uh, 3 and verse 5, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What is Jesus talking about here? There's an eternal death to die without Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, it would be called hell. And Jesus would describe it as a place that is separated from a holy God, where there's judgment and there's an eternal death and dying, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I don't say that to you this morning to scare you, but it is a scary thought to be eternally separated from a loving God. But what is the flip side? Jesus says, repent. Unto what? Him. And there is now eternal life, is what John chapter three would say. Rather than an eternal death, an eternal life. How is it that we get this? How is this repentance brought to us? It's the gospel. That Jesus, holy God, stepped out of eternity and became Emmanuel, God with us, as a baby, virgin born, lived 33 perfect years, fulfilling all 613 laws, fulfilling all of the prophecies, and saying, come now, believe that Jesus, perfect and holy, would get up on a cross, and whereas we earned, as the Bible says, we all have sin and fallen short of the glory of God, and now we all have this sin that equals death in our lives, Jesus says, I'll put it on. I will die in your place. This is the good news is that though, if you don't repent, you will perish. The good news is if you repent, you will live. That on the cross, Jesus took the shame and the guilt and the burden and the death of our sin in our place, he gets laid in a tomb and three days later is resurrected. Why? So that we might eternally live. That we might live with a holy God and a holy perfect eternity where it says there are no more tears and there's no more pain and he will wipe every tear from our eye and our bodies are made new and that we're in a new heaven and a new earth and a new city where all the saints and the people get to live in God's house. That is good news, that Jesus doesn't end with, hey, if you sin, you're going to perish. No, repent and turn. We see this continuing on in verse 10 of Luke 13. Now he was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. And she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. And Jesus answered, the Lord answered. You hypocrites, do you, uh, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to the, to water it? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were, uh, that were done by him." As so we continue on in this story, we, the, the scene shifts to this woman who has been disabled for 18 years. We go back and look at the culture. This woman would have been classified as a second-class citizen because, just because she was a woman, and that's wrong. But then we look at her disability, we see that she is bent over, she can probably not work, and now she's marked with this affliction that she would probably be bumped down a whole nother peg because she probably can't work. And if she can't work, she'd be either reduced to begging or someone else taking care of her. And so now she's probably marginalized with all the rest of the cripples and the lame and the people who can't work and beg. But then not only that, we look at the culture and we would see that people would say, oh, she's sick. She's got this disabling spirit. Oh, she must be a sinner. She must have opened herself over to the demonic. Right, they would ask the question, Jesus said, Jesus, why is it that this man is ill? Is it because he sinned or his parents? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. So that my glory might be known and he heals the man in a very similar fashion, heals this woman, Jesus, let alone on the Sabbath, right? They have all these made up rules on why he can't do this on the Sabbath, though the law is true, right? Don't work on the Sabbath. He does a great healing work for her pointing to Jesus's divinity, pointing to his godliness. As he lays his hand upon her, he says, healed. Jesus disregards the fact that she may be unclean, impure, and walks over to this woman, and he puts his hand on her. With disregard to his own, right, purity, as the Jews would be worried about. And she's healed, made straight, freed from her bonds, of a spiritual enemy, and she begins to glorify God. If I could say it this way, is what does that point to? Is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God, and he is the only cure from our brokenness whenever and wherever. For this woman, it was this unknown woman, right? We don't even get her name. In an unknown synagogue, in an unknown place, that Jesus lays a hand upon her and says, be healed whenever, wherever. Maybe for some of you, you've received the healing touch of Jesus in your life, right? We've talked about the curse and the marring of sin, the gospel and the acceptance of it. Maybe it was years and years ago in your room with your parents leading you to Jesus and you felt that. Maybe for some of you, it was last week, last year. Maybe for some of you today, you've yet to experience Jesus lay a hand upon you and feel his healing work in your heart. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Jesus continues on by ending with a parable, heals this woman. All this glory is given to God, which is the right response, by the way, that when a woman is set free and knows God gives glory to him, Jesus ends with what is a seemingly odd parable. He says in verse 18, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened, right? We have this truth, that we are all marred by sin, that repentance is the thing that we have to, have to do to be made right with God, right? We come to him and we say, Lord, we trust in this salvation, this gospel. And then Jesus lays a hand upon this woman, this truth that we can be healed by God anytime, any place, whenever, wherever, always and everywhere. And then we get this passage here. What is the sentiment? Is that now he says, the kingdom is like this. The smallest of all seeds in the garden grows to be this large tree that these birds come into. This is Old Testament imagery, seemingly to quote out of Ezekiel chapter 17. Ezekiel, the prophet would say, quoting the Lord, thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar And set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one. And I myself will plant it on high and a lofty mountain. And on the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it. And it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. And in the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord." And I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree, dry up the green tree and make dry the tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. What is he saying? Saying the kingdom, though small at first, maybe insignificant looking at first, does a great work in which all people are welcomed in. That he says all kinds of birds can come in to this, that all sorts of birds can come and make their nest and make their home here in the kingdom. And then he gives another parable just like it. He says, there's this woman who puts some leaven in this amount of flour, right? That amount of flour would have yielded over a hundred people's worth of bread. All come partake in the eating. Something that might look insignificant at first is good for the feeding of all these people. So the invitation is this, is would you come and make your home? the invitation is this, would you come and partake in his bread? Right, it started with an unnamed woman in an unnamed synagogue and then glorifying God. And then it started with these 12 disciples who were uneducated common men and then they go out and boldly proclaim the gospel and it fills the earth in which now in the 21st century, let's bring it closer to home. It started with a young man who was fatherless, who had no good fatherly examples standing here before you, being touched by the hand of Jesus and had a spiritual healing done in his life. Now proclaiming the gospel is good news and it works. And that now I have an eternal life to live and a gospel to proclaim and to preach to you. Though maybe small and insignificant at the front end, it is good for the salvation of all. I would ask that you'd bow your heads, close your eyes for, for just a moment, just to ponder with me, think with me for just a second, pray with me for a moment. I know that was heavy, We're talking about judgment, sin, eternity. Maybe you're a believer in this place, maybe Jesus. Has interacted with you in a real way and you have a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. But maybe there's some things that you're struggling with. Maybe it is the fact that you are looking at sin horizontally and you're stacking your sin up against someone else's, taking zero personal accountability for it. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that, like the Pharisees and scribes, that you've added all this extra biblical stuff to your life, none of which God has commanded. And you're now living out of fear and religion rather than grace and truth that Jesus has brought. Maybe it is that you're possibly not seeking the kingdom, right? This small thing that grows and is for everyone. Maybe you're not seeking the kingdom and by sharing his gospel and his word and his kingdom work. We said it this morning that Jesus is healing kingdom work is for all. Maybe there's some things you need to repent of in this place today. Maybe you had an encounter with Jesus a long time ago and you were content with leaving it back there. Would you have an encounter with him again today? But maybe in this place you would say, Braden, I don't even know what you're talking about. This is the first time I've ever even heard that I can have a personal relationship with a holy God, that he would die for me, taking my sin and bearing my shame so that I might live with him for all of eternity, or maybe you have heard about Jesus and you've been curious and and the gospel has never been proclaimed to you in such a way and you feel that something is stirring inside of you like something needs to be made right today. I would encourage you if that's where you are today that you would pray something like this. It doesn't have to be these exact words, it's just the sentiment. Would you pray something like this today? God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I need you. God, that I've tried everything else in the world and yet it has failed me every time. Nothing has been good to save me yet. God, I repent. I turn from the ways in which that have drawn me away from you. And God, I turn back to you and ask that you would save me. God, I believe that you died on the cross and that you were resurrected, taking my sin that I might live in eternal life. If you prayed something along those lines or maybe some of the things I said to you a second ago before resonate in you or maybe you just have something going on completely different today and you need to pray with someone, we have our Next Steps team here. It's my left, your right, that you can speak to after our service is concluded. We would love for you especially today, if, if something is on your heart and you need to pray, that you would go. And I would implore you, if you prayed along with me, something like that prayer, I would ask and implore you to be filled with boldness and courage today. And please come talk to a team member of ours. We would love to have that conversation with you today about salvation and what your next steps are.